Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. Whatever you is. Luca Nation, welcome back to another episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze. Oh, my. Uh, and a pretty awesome episode we got planned for you guys. So Woo! hope you enjoy it. And uh, Cage, has, Cage has a holiday party coming up. What, what's the event? Like, how are you guys doing? Is it happy hours and an all-night thing? Games, arcade? I honestly don't even know. I'm going to be surprised when I walk in. Somewhere in the city. I don't know. I just follow the herd. You're a leader of the herd. Not not for holiday parties. You know, it's just, it's, you know, you figure it out. It's usually just some, you know, bar, hotel, lounge, something. You get a couple of drinks. Everyone pretends to like each other. And, you know, everybody goes home. It's one of those kind of things. Happy well, holidays. What are, the, what are the chances that you and your wife have the, a holiday party planned on the same exact night? Well, good, because she is liked. I am not liked. But she is she is liked by many, so she has a lot of holiday parties. By the way, if you pull up eBay's homepage, the card market has never been merrier. They're really pushing cards. Big picture, little like uh, Tom Brady Bowman rookie, LeBron looks like a chrome refractor, Trout. Yeah, if you had the cards that eBay's putting up there, it's definitely a merry holiday for you. Oof, look at this. Hey, now. So, you loving life, man? I'm loving life. Uh, I mean, up until seven minutes ago, I was uh, planning my entry point back into like uh, some higher end cards, right? Like, I'm the type of guy because I've been talking to people, and I- I'm the type of guy who says pudding is delicious. <laughs> what movie? That's actually a song. Let's rap. You never no little hello little hello cool day hello cool J hello cool day. Um, no, I mean. It's interesting. Like, I'm people, you, you, you were right about this. People are hurt a little bit because they bought into a market in April, May, March, and they got cards at kind of a premium, cards that they love. You know, I spoke with somebody today. He he bought a lot of cards that, you know, are PC, collectibles, but it still stings a little bit, right? When you kind of – when you buy a card for 20K and it's now 11, even if it's your favorite player, a great card, a PSA 10 – has that have you had that happen to you? Like you bought a card you love, and the next auction you see it, you know, go down. Yeah, 30%. my scoring King's Jordan. I bought it for like eighteen thousand dollars, and the next time it auctioned for like eleven. Did that piss was that like what what goes through your head when? Well, you know, you start rationalizing it because we're collecting lunatics. You know, um, you're the type of guy that gets suspicious. I'm the type of guy that says, put in his de- – no. Okay. So anyway, come on. It's LL Cool J. How do you not know this song, man? I okay. do, but I don't know a lot of LL Cool J songs. Actually, it's before you were born, right? 1989? 89? LL's old, man. So um, I, you rationalize it because you're, you know, you're a uh, you're, you're, you're collector. You know, I, I look at that one and I'm like, it was a foreign listing, not a lot of – not a lot of um, you know eyeballs on it, not a lot of feedback, and it ended at like – 10 a.m. Eastern time. And you're like, what? No one even knew about it, you know? So, all right. I should have I should have bought that one, too. But I didn't. 
And then, you know, they sell for more after that. But look, you can't look backwards. It hurts your neck. This is a rumor. I don't know whether it's true or not. But I was told that, again, it was a rumor. But I tend to believe it. You know we're going to talk about Card Ladder a little bit because, obviously, this is we're a daily show. And one of the benefits of being a daily show is to be able to bring you guys all the news that's fit to print. And if it's not fit to print, we're still going to talk about it because we don't care. So that's number one. But I was advised that Josh from Card Ladder, I should have just asked him this myself, but I didn't. I saw him on Monday. That when he sold his exquisite LeBron, it was a BGS 8, right? That was a BGS 8. I'm told that the person who bought it bumped it to an 8.5 after buying it from Josh, like within the last month. Can we so, talk about that? So, yeah, we should definitely talk about it. But but the, the, the point being... Even someone like that who probably, you know, got a million dollars for a card after, you know, buying it for whatever, $200,000 and made, you know, probably made 800 grand on it. And then got to pay taxes. Almost everybody pay your taxes. This is, the, this is the rule. Pay your taxes. But even he is probably like, damn it. You know, God, I, I, I know I sold it for a million, but I could have had more, you know. Well, can we talk about that? Because sure. I agree. That's the natural tendency, right? Because we're, we're all um... – I read this book in, in high school. I think we were forced to be hunter-gatherers. Uh-huh. Right? Like we want to get and bring home to our family. Bring home the bacon. Bring home the bacon. But, but I'm working on this, and it's, 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 it's not easy. Man, it sounds so good when those bubbles hit the ice. Keep going. I'll, I'll wait. That's a, that's a cool sound. I, that sound is a – I could see why like just – like I don't know how you drink it out of the bottle. Like I would want to pour it over ice. I want to pour soda over it. But anyway, isn't it good that Josh got record – and not just Josh. This happens all the time. It happened literally today in NFTs. It happened literally today in cards. It happens all the time. But isn't it great that Josh got paid out? He made a significant return on his investment. But he didn't sell a pile of S-H-I-T <laughs> shit. He, the, he didn't sell a card that went down. <laughs> Thank you for spelling it. And then saying it. For those of you who are listening with your children. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm in a weird mood today, guys, just so you know. So I apologize in advance for everything I say and do on this episode. Uh, but he also kind of left meat on the bone. So the person that bought it, now they have also are in profit, right? Isn't yep. that kind of, I know that's idealistic, but isn't that kind of a cool feeling if we're like talking about that abundance mindset and, you know, doing good by the hobby and all that stuff, kind of passing on a bit of the profit or a bit of the opportunity. Cause I'm yeah. sure Josh knew that he could have bumped that card. Uh, maybe, Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. And, and that's not where leaving the meat on the bone is. But yeah, I mean, look, that's it, there's it, there's altruism there, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I know I can get more money if I you know, held on to it. You know, let me let me let this person get in at a good price and, you know, be happy with the deal as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Um, altruism is the selfless concern for well-being of others. But But I don't think that any of us are truly altruistic. I think it's a bit of selfish, but you can be selfish in your own best interest and in the best interest of someone else. What I mean by that is I believe the universe or God or faith or whatever you believe in rewards uh, a sort of altruism in the sense of 
where you do right by yourself and your family, but you also do right by someone else at the same time. Okay. I mean, I get that. I understand what you're saying. So, guys, just maybe 30 minutes ago, like right before we recorded, uh, we went on Darren Ravel's Twitter because, honestly, he tweeted something that was wrong about CryptoPunks and Cage and I were talking about it. CryptoPunks are down maybe this month in ETH terms, but in fiat terms, they're up. So do you want to add any context to that? It's irrelevant to this conversation. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's just, you know, we've talked about this a million times. Don't just read headlines, right? Because the the person who's writing the headline has, uh, you know, probably a motive behind that headline. You know, you could also write a headline that says, you know, recent CryptoPunk sales have sold for record prices. If you wanted to value it in, you know, dollars and look at some of the rarer ones, right? Um, Because ETH has gone up in dollar value. So, yeah, to start the month, ETH was less money. ETH was less dollars. So he can say there's been less sales and it's a lower month of volume and that kind of stuff. And it's true. Mostly because people who are in these are not flipping them now. Um, you know, that's part of it. You know, people don't really just want to sell them. And two, you know, the other reason is because if you value it in, in ETH, you know, it, one ETH is one ETH. We talk about that. But, yep. you know, in dollars, if you would have sold something for the same amount of ETH month over month, it's actually selling for more dollars because the ETH is higher now. It's almost $4,800 now. And, um, and, uh, and it brings it to a good point. Like, I'm kind of, you know, uh, there was like these principles written out in stone, right? It, 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 like back in the day. Hammurabi? Yeah, sure. The Hammurabi I'm, code? I'm also trying to like kind of, as I grow and learn and become more experienced, to develop my own principles. And I learned my first principle from my own experience, but it's also with the CryptoPunks, a good example. I don't want to say never, but don't sell a card that you can't rebuy back into. Right, like don't sell an asset that you can't get back into. That's unique. The, so, like uh, Jordan Fleer PSA ten, right? There's 315 of them. Cage, you know that if you sold that, you could get back into that card. Yeah, maybe you have to pay a little bit more, but you know that you could get back into that card. Versus if you sold a PMG Jordan Green, right, and you got a record price for it, you might be into that card for one tenth of what it is. But still, when you're selling that card, you know that you're not going to be able to get that card back. Unless you pay an absorbent premium. And Unless the person who has it and selling it back to you wants to leave meat on the bone and is altruistic and listens to our podcast. No? So the same thing with the CryptoPunks, right? They're all so unique. Yep. So why liquidity or volume is down is because people that are holding them have no urgency to sell them. And they know if they sell them, they're not going to be able to get their CryptoPunk back. Hmm. And I've developed that principle for myself. So now when I'm looking at my collection and I'm thinking, what do I want to hold? What do I sell? If I love a card, like I got the Kobe Game Worn Auto patch. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I love this card. I don't want, I, I know that, yeah, I could sell it and get my money out. But if I, I can't get it back. There's only, you know, 30 of these, 50 of these, 25 of these. And there's not a lot floating around the market. So I've used that and I've developed that as one of my principles. I want to give a shout out to the to card ladder guys. The point was we went to Darren Ravel's in Twitter page and maybe just like two minutes ago, he tweeted that uh, Collector's Universe bought out card ladder. So news to us, I, you saw Josh on Monday. You could add any flavor to this if, if there's any hint of this, but we don't know what's going to come of it. We've talked a lot about how the hobby is going to consolidate. We're going to see mergers. We're going to see more of these buyouts. 
Uh, I'm not going to speculate on if it's good or bad. I don't think we have enough information. I'm going to go at it from a more of a personal standpoint. I've met Chris. I met Christina. I haven't met Josh. Uh, we disagree on a ton of things. We have probably different personalities, different takes on the market, different investing, different everything. But when we met, we got along really, really well. We talked about LeBron and Kobe and Jordan and all of our disagreements. And I couldn't be happier for those guys because at the end of the day, it's cool to see other people win and not just win, like change the trajectory of their whole family, you know, change the trajectory of their future. Uh, here, their guys, I believe they were work. They were doing this part time. They eventually became full time. I don't know their whole story. I'm curious to learn it, but they put in time. They bet on themselves. They stuck together and they built a product that added value to the marketplace. Uh, and it's cool to see people win. It's cool to see people in the hobby win. I think it gives a lot of hope for people also that, yeah, you could buy, invest cards, all that stuff. But there's also opportunities in building a product, a service, a tool, an application, whatever it is that benefits the hobby that you could get paid out to, right? That there is light at the end of the tunnel. So I hope that there's people that see that news and they don't see it as like, man, like kind of the jealousy that kicks into all of us when someone gets a card that we wanted or somebody has success. They see it as, man, if they did it, I could do it too, right? And they did it in three years, four years, and they put their head down, they grinded, they listened to customers, they created content, they put in the work, and they got paid out. And I hope that serves as a bit of a, a bit of an optimism that there is still room in this hobby to grow and you could do it too. I mean, I like that a little optimism in the hobby. Listen, those optimism, guys, altruism. They did, they did some good stuff. You know what I mean? They, they, they. There was clearly a need for what they were putting out there. You know, they built a great platform that's been copied several times over. Um, and um, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing that they did. And you know, good for them. Um, I'm sure they're. You know, I'm sure it's a good deal. <laughs> you know, we haven't heard the, you know, the details of it. But let me ask you a question because you know everybody listening to this, tuning in for you know the 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 buyout news. There'll be content about this all week or month, whatever it is, and it'll be fun. But you know, the people who listen to us, they know that I have a different way of looking at things. I'm a little bit of that guy, um, and I'm you know, well, while everybody's partying. They're all you doing the whole guy. Run. They're doing You're the guy run. that. So, I, guys, I live in Mexico, so, and it, life's been amazing. But I can't make all the bleaker events. Cage has been at a ton of them, and he's that guy that you know. I see pictures here, and I'm like, dude, you light up a room. Like I saw a picture oh, of wow. you and Hootie. Hootie, shout out man. to Hootie. Um, awesome guy, man. If you guys haven't ever, go to Vlad TV and type in Hootie. That's it. But <laughs> seeing pictures. Of you and Hootie, you and guys at the at the, at, uh, the collector night, and just making people laugh. You are that guy, man. You make people feel good. Uh, you're influential. You're admired. You're respected. So you are that guy. I agree. So I am the guy who, you know, who's going to ask the hard questions. I just am, right? And sometimes it serves us well. You know, there's a the ton of opportunity for impropriety. Well, some of the people. Well, let's just not go impropriety. I have questions, right? It's not about impropriety. I, I'm never even going to allege that. The, the the ink isn't even dry. I'm sure. 
when you use card ladder when you're on there and you are going to buy yourself a lebron 2003 tops chrome what data is there it's a very liquid card okay but what data is on there how many the the pop pop card ladder score okay and the pop of what just psa psa tens and what else psa any cards that they add so it's actually is there a bgs 95 yeah is there a pricing of PSA 10s? And is there a pricing of BGS 95? Yep. Don't punch your phone. Yeah. It, it, the way Card Ladder works is they add cards that are relevant. They're not going to have every card in their database. They've talked about that. It's unsustainable and it's really hard to, to keep up with. So they don't have a lot of F1 cards, but they have the major sports, the major players, and they cross-reference the data. So it's not just um, PSA. It's I think they have SGC too, but they have BGS. Um, they have a lot of BGS. I can't hear you. BGS. Let me see if they have SGC. I don't think that they have SGC just yet. Nor, nor do I think that they necessarily should. I think that they're our private company and they've been in, they're they're hobbyist, as we say. And they created this platform because I believe that they believe that BGS and PSA were the two big players. And you should earn credibility in the hobby before you get list. I don't want to speak for them, but before you get, you know, just any grading company could show up on here. So go, go ahead. There, there is BGS cards on here. Uh, and pricing. So pricing for BGS, population yep. report of BGS. When card ladder is absorbed under the PSA umbrella and offered as, you know. What is happening right now? I, I can't understand what is happening. Cage is going dark. He's throwing his phone. He's cutting out. Um when PSA absorbs Collector's Universe, will they have BGS data? I don't know. I wouldn't blame them if they didn't, dude. BGS has sucked just horribly the last year and a half, and they haven't done right by their customers. So so if part of the tool is to be a comparison tool, a pricing comparison, you know, um, and, you know, oh, let me look at what the pop is on BGS 9 of those LeBrons, BGS 9 5s. And let me compare it to this. Should I buy a PSA 10 or should I buy a BGS 9.5? It's a it, when it's an when it's a standalone entity, right? And it's a third party that's just pulling in data, aggregating that data, and showing it so that the user can make their own informed decision. That's interesting. Now, I'm not saying that that will change. Maybe it won't change. You know, there are other businesses out there. Progressive Insurance is famous for their pricing tool, right? It's like, hey, look at Progressive. We're going to give you the price of ours and four other competitors. And sometimes we'll be the cheapest insurer for you, but sometimes we won't, right? And they, you know, they advertise that, right? Like, here's the pricing check. And ours is 500, but look, it looks like State Farm will save you 80 bucks or whatever it is. It's very possible. I just don't see PSA on the PSA website offering this as part of their membership or whatever it is putting out population reports of BGS and prices for BGS and or SGC sales. And if that's not happening, does the card ladder tool 
lose some of its utility because that the, the value of comparison across different um, holders is lost. You can tell me no. These are questions. You can tell me no because right yeah, now PSA is is eighty percent of the market, and people only care about PSA. No one cares about BGS anyway. You know, I'm not even talking about a conflict. I'm not even talking about them putting up BGS data and making it wrong or somehow deflating the value of BGS. But think about it from from that way, right? Like, if they don't put it up there, it loses some utility. If they do put it up there, isn't it right for the consumer to question whether a PSA-owned pricing tool would potentially be giving accurate valuation for a competitor's slab? Fair? thousand percent. It's, um, you know what private equity does, right? Mm-hmm. Buy out and extract value. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, 100%. That's what, that's what we're seeing. Uh, I have nothing against it. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, you guys know, across the street of where I went to university is Wharton. That's what they do. They breed these people who buy buy out companies right they're private equity guys and hedge fund guys through and through um you don't see a lot of entrepreneurs come out of wharton do you cage no you you don't and um there is something to be said about that i think it's unfair to judge how another man makes his money as long as it's legal i don't love private equity and hedge funds because what what you see is exactly what's happening before our eyes um you see Nat Turner, Steve Cohen, they have all of this money and they just go buy out companies, bring them under one umbrella, extract value, which is great. But long term, they benefit. The entrepreneurs of those companies benefit. Ken Golden, Josh Johnson, Christina and Chris Hodge and, and others. But the general market doesn't. I don't know, man. I, I'm just a 30, fuck two, your upcoming year old man, young boy, young adult, teen, just trying to learn this whole world. That's not my style. That's not my cup of tea. But uh, people also say there's a lot of value to that because they do provide liquidity and financing to the, to the industry, right? They bring capital to a marketplace, um, which in theory could trickle down. Right. Like now, Chris Hodge, Christina, I don't know if they have employees, you know, they could get some money as well. And now maybe that money goes back into the economy and back into cards or back into something else. Or maybe they start another business. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's good for entrepreneurs. I think it's good for Collectors Universe. I don't know how beneficial it is for the actual sports hobby industry it's not a hobby anymore well listen so i have no problem with this it's just you know and listen psa if you're listening to this great buy i love the guys i love the tool i love the stuff um you know i've i've said many times it's the kind of thing that could only be built by collectors right because it's really something that they had to put their blood sweat and tears into so it is not a surprise to me that this is something to get bought it's something that is a great tool a lot of people use it and it's something where you know if done correctly really adds value to when PSA says we're selling you a membership kit. Previously, you got a backpack, which was great for memes. You know what I mean? Or you got a book, uh, Rico Petroselli's book, or you know you got a coffee table book, and you got some vouchers. 
well, they're probably not giving out vouchers much anymore. You know what I mean? That was the first thing they did away with. And even if they bring them back, okay, you know, that's a nice thing. If they're rolling this into when you pay for a $200 a year membership or whatever it is, your platinum membership, if it comes with this that people were paying $15 a month for anyway, that's a real value add to someone who's buying a PSA membership, 100%. I mean, I think that's it's a great move. And it really, in a, in a time where you are um, aggregating data and where everything's moving away from a centralized location, it used to be everything was sold on eBay. So you had eBay's data. And that was enough. You didn't need any other data. You had 0.130, which could pull up eBay data. But now everybody's moved away from eBay. The PWCC stuff's not being sold there. Their auction houses had major stuff. So card data came in at the right time. And, and even more so now when you have Alt selling their cards and PWCC selling their cards, still some stuff on eBay. You know, it, it, it's it, pulling up that data is more important now than ever before, right? And so it is. there's some real value to it. I love the deal. Um, that said, and again, PSA, I'm sure someone will be listening to this from PSA. I love you guys. You should buy us next, okay? So just make me rich. But, the, but besides that, here's the thing, right? Everybody is glad that collectors like Nat are in charge. And Nat's a collector, and it's a collector, and it's a collector, right? And he's a collector, and he, so whatever he does is good for the collector, right? We've heard this a million times. But every move they make, we have to take Nat and Collector's Universe at their word when they utter this sentence in their press releases. Everything will still be done at arm's length. When we buy Golden, it will still be at arm's length. Right? Remember, that was the thing. And it kind of got buried. It got buried in the lead, right? It got buried because, because it was, no, no, no. We're not going to give any preference to Ken. Golden auctions won't have any preference over heritage auctions. You know, golden auctions won't be able to cut the line and get their cards in PSA holders. And you know what? I, I don't think anybody has revealed any impropriety since that purchase. I don't think anybody, you know, we got card porn out there. And if anybody's going to find it out, they'll find it out, right? But I don't, I don't see any evidence that, you know, golden auctions have skipped the line, you name it. But if every acquisition they make, they have to basically come out and say, guys, you know, it'll be at arm's length, right? Don't worry about it. It'll be at arm's length. And, uh, you know, we're not going to change the way they're doing this data. And it'll still be operated, quote, at arm's length, right? Um, eventually, if you have to explain what you're doing, you have to question whether you should be doing it. Didn't he say that two weeks, three weeks ago that um, service levels are opening up? I mean, the rumor was like, I, it depends where you read it, right? It's $100 He commented that it was being opened up, right? Somewhere. I don't know. So I, hear what, I don't I hear know. What you're I've saying. seen 100. I've seen 110. I've seen, you know, I've seen all kinds of different, different numbers, um, you know, on it. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. And guys, keep in mind, this is not, 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 not me saying that there's anything wrong with this purchase because I'm not. Trust me, I'm not saying that at all. Okay, I think this is a great buy. I think they're. It's going to be a fantastic marriage of the two properties. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I don't think that... Um, well, it's nuanced. You know, right? Like every, like most things in life, it's nuanced. 
It has good things, good positives and, be- and negatives. Yeah. No, am I, am I not picking up what you're putting down? No, you're, I mean, listen, it is what it is. I mean, you know, it's a transparency thing, right? So I'm just curious what happens with it, right? Are, is Card Ladder now just going to be a tool for valuing PSA cards? Don't they kind of do that now in like the, like you'll see like the last sold item if you go to the pop report and they pulled that data from eBay. So they, they, right? Yeah, but they weren't just doing PSA, right? If you wanted to pull up a value of- On PSA.com. Yeah, they have, but they they don't have, I mean, listen, the card ladder value is, you know, more than like an SMR or that kind of stuff. They had recent auctions and it wasn't as robust. And I think what what they're saying is that like, if you use the PSA set registry and you organize yourself, you're going to start to see card ladder estimated values integrated into the service, like right there. So right off the bat, you're going to see card ladder valuation in your stuff done and there. It's just, it's just how they're going to use it, right? So if they're just going to use it as, as a bolt-on to value PSA cards. So when you put in your cert, when you put in your card, you have card ladder value on there. Great. Does that then mean card ladder is only going to be a PSA card valuation service? And it's very possible that's the case. Maybe, maybe PSA, maybe Collector's Universe is taking card ladder off the market of valuing anything other than PSA cards. Maybe that's part of what they're buying. I don't know the answer to that. This is a couple of hours old. Um, so it's interesting, man. I'll say this. like, and, and At the end of the business, the way you run a business is based on your own personal values, right? Yep. Like some people believe that businesses are for making money. Right. Some people yep. think that businesses are for leaving an impact in this world. Other people think business is to create something. I believe that businesses should make money by doing good for the industry or the customers that they're serving. I don't think PSA has done that, but I think they've done better than the other grading companies. Like since, I mean, wh- when did Collector's Universe get bought out or go, go private? Oh, about a year ago. Okay. Right? Since the then they bought year. Golden. They've done a whole bunch of other things. They've shut down. I, I don't know what the true value of the last year was for the community. They've made cake. They, they've made tons of money. I don't know how much the hobby has felt a benefit of those moves. Now, some people might say, why does PSA have to benefit the hobby? I don't know. That's a, that's a moral thing. Listen, I think it's a great move. I'm just curious to see how it changes the product. A great move for whom? For PSA. Well, it's a great move for both sides, right? I mean, the guys and Chris who, Hodge and, and yeah, that of team. Course, of but, course, it, I mean, but there's other parties involved. Is that a great move for the hobby? For people who are PSA collectors, sure. Okay. Which is all PSA is supposed to be looking out for, I would think. Right, because now the, the data is going to be at their hands. Right, they PSA does not have a duty to look out for BGS collectors. You know what I mean? I so, don't know. So sir, it, I don't know if they're segmented like that, but I hear what you're saying. I would argue it's collectors, and some collectors have BSA, but some have BGS. And why do they stack. care about making sure someone has a valuation of a BGS card? They shouldn't. So I, I don't. I didn't say that, but yes. <laughs> no, I get it. What you're saying is that a collector is a collector. It doesn't mean they're just a PSA collector. Yes. But PSA probably, when it's all about brand and brand loyalty. Then, if card ladder becomes just a way to value PSA, then maybe people will become just PSA collectors. You know what I mean? Maybe it's moving it towards, you know, just collecting that PSA label. It's another move 
where if you want to have a card la card ladder value, it's going to be on PSA's website. I mean, I don't know, man. I, a lot of the listen, ideas the other are, thing are about it is right. It could be just different, right? They bought Ken Golden. They didn't. They didn't just put Golden auctions on the PSA and make Ken only sell PSA cards. So it may just be that that these guys are now under the umbrella the same way Golden Auction is under the Collector's Universe umbrella, and they're going to business as usual. And we have to take it at at face value from them as collectors and from Collector's Universe as the parent company that when they give a BGS value, it's a straight shot BGS value, and that they're not in any way depressing a BGS value vis-a-vis -vis the the corresponding PSA ten. Because someone's going to go to that page and say, "Hey, should I buy a nine five BGS or a PSA ten? You this know, hurts, this hurts BGS. This is resale value. No, no. But just as when they bought Golden, you could come on and say Heritage shouldn't be thrilled about this. You could make the same argument about BGS not being thrilled about this. It doesn't mean that the I've been on good faith and good accord that BGS has been approached to be bought out by several different players, and they. You know, uh, what, what is it called? Yeah, they turn up their nose at it. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, listen, that's their prerogative. Guys, and keep in mind, again, nobody's saying that there's anything untoward here. 100%. I think this is, I mean, I've met Josh. I've met Chris. I've met Nat. These guys are, they're, they're true collectors, each and every one. Christina, too. Yeah, but we gave them praise, and we gave Nat Turner and PSA praise. There's a third party that I always want to make sure that they're not forgotten, and that's the collective whole of the people that I'm pay with money you. to both PSA and Card Ladder. I understand. Do you have a play for today? <coughs> yeah. Let's hear it. It's hilarious, like right? Fire one. AD. I'm going to be AD. Number one picks. Going to change the game. Future MVP. Future Defensive Player of the Year. AD. Amazing, right? Carl Anthony Towns. Number one pick. Change, change the game. All these amazing things. You know who's going to be what we thought they're going to be? You know who is going to be what all of the hype of AD and Carl Anthony Towns was, but will really fulfill it, in my opinion? Take a guess who I'm going to say. No idea. Evan Mobley. Evan okay. Mobley is those guys, but he actually competes and plays hard and is in a soft little piece of soft. The Go only difference part. between those guys and Evan Mobley is that Evan Mobley hasn't had a couple years to disappoint you. No. Because what people are saying about Evan Mobley now, they were saying about Anthony Davis and Carl Anthony Correct. Towns when they were at this stage of their career. This, and they said it about DeMarcus Cousins too. So There's a big difference. And it, he's young, so this could change. Um, you know how we talk about it factor? None of those guys had it factor. None of them do. I believe, and I think part of it has to do with because they went to Kentucky and their whole life was easy, but I don't even want to go down that route, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's something to that story of Michael Jordan getting cut, right? There's something to that story of like, man, I got to work for mine. Like, were those three guys that I just named? Think about it. Kentucky, number one pick, dominated everywhere they went, just – Star, 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 star. Grow up in AAU, you know, just a ton of talent. And it was always they're the best player. Evan Mobley's path wasn't as easy. He didn't go to a huge school. He went to USC. He dominated there. You know, no one knew about him coming into the league. So for me, he has a little bit less talent than those three guys. Those three guys are some of the most talented 
big men. I don't even know if you consider them big men that I've seen come into the league, right? Yep. But they didn't have it. Like they didn't have the competitive nature. Like I know we always say that injuries are 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 by chance, but at the same time, like if you're out of shape, aren't you just always going to get injured? And that's what we, we saw with Anthony Davis. The guy can't stay on the field, on the court. DeMarcus Cousins, same thing. Cat, I just think Cat is just a little big softy. And that's not, a, that's not a knock on him as a human, right? Like, he's probably an amazing person. But there is a little bit to the fact of, like, playing with a chip on your shoulder. Point is, it's not – I don't know why I wouldn't debrate those three guys. Uh, it's really more of just a compliment and praise to not only how talented Evan Mobley is, but also how hard he plays. Now we're halfway through a season. I don't want to get a, you know too far ahead of myself. You're right. They used to say this about Anthony Davis. A little bit of what I said the last few minutes is tongue-in-cheek. We're a show. I try to be a little bit more uh, shocking all the times. But my point is I think Evan Mobley is going to have the it factor, like that competitive nature. And at the same time, he has a lot of the talent that AD, Cat. Uh, Boogie had and funny. I, I think I would wait for his prism cards to come out. When they do, I think you're going to be able to scoop them up pretty pretty cheap. I like him. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. You know, but he's mobile, and he, you know he's a solid big guy. I've seen him shoot threes. He has a good stroke for a big guy. I like it. I love the play, man. I love the play. I have been buying some of his digital prisms where I can find them. So you know, I'm with you when that prism card comes out. That's great. So I'm going to go exactly the opposite direction from you for my play, and then we'll, we'll cut it short. Hakeem Olajuwon? Oh, no, no. Even more opposite. Like, different sport opposite. And, like, different almost, – almost a completely different century opposite. So um, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? And you guys, you know, you follow with me. And, again, congratulations to the card letter guys and to and PSA and Collectors Universe. I think it's amazing the, 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 the things that are going on in the space right now. I uh, can't wait till the Mint Collective in January, uh, January 28th to the 30th, to get all of the big thinkers in the same room together, deals to be made, venture capitalists. I'm sure 2022 is going to be a year of even more mergers, acquisitions, and the like in the space. It's really exciting, and, and I consider myself fortunate to be able to talk about it with you and to uh, Luca Nation every day. So you ready for this? In 1928, uh, a young pitcher who had already played 11 years of professional baseball at this point in time. Professional being, remember, it wasn't all MLB back then. The Pacific Coast League, there were all kinds of different leagues. But um, pretty nondescript career for those 11 years. He played outfield and pitched. You know, back then, you could pitch, you could play the field, you could do all over. The, all right? Limited playing time between 1919 and 1923 with the Yankees and the Red Sox, which you can't really blame them. The Yankees had some pretty good players during those years, you know, a guy named Babe Ruth. Um, so, but during that period up to 1928, this particular guy's most famous moment was likely a pitching appearance in July of 1923 in which he allowed 13 runs in one inning as part of a 23-7 to Boston loss to the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, 13 runs in one inning. Pretty terrible, right? So why would I bring this guy up? Beginning in 1928 and continuing for approximately the 30 years following 1928, this individual cemented a legacy as not just one of the best MLB hitters to ever play, but 
also a successful minor league coach where he coached some of the greats of the game, but probably most important for our discussion, maybe the single most important ambassador of spreading the league globally, right? As you know, NBA spreads globally now, the MLB was spreading in the, in the 40s and 50s. So I'm talking about a man named Lefty O'Doul. Okay, cool name, Lefty O'Doul. Pacific Coast League from 24 to 27. And following the 24 campaign where he had that crappy, you know, uh, 13 runs, right? Had some injuries. In the four years following, 973 hits batted 369 over a four-year span. He won the Pacific Coast League's MVP award in 1927. Pacific Coast League, by the way, take a look. It's a legitimate league. Joe DiMaggio played in there for the San Francisco Seals. Um, that got him back to the majors in 28 with the New York Giants, 31 years old. 31 years old back in. Sort of like a um, Disney movie type stuff, right? Maybe that'll happen. He batted 319 with 354 at-bats with the Giants, and they traded him to the Phillies. And in the National League, he led the league in 1929 with a 398 batting average. Still top 20 season of all time. Only you know a handful of guys in the history of baseball have ever done better than that. You're talking about guys like Ty Cobb, right? No modern player has ever come close to this number. Tony Gwynn batted 394 for one season, if memory serves, right? And his 254 hits still stand as the NL single season record that year. 32 home runs, struck out only 19 times. Joins Joe DiMaggio as the two players to ever have fewer than 20 strikeouts during a 30-homer season. Okay? Also was able to hit some left-handers. Lots of fun stuff here, right? Second to Rogers Hornby in the NL MVP voting that year. Got a lot of notes here, but I'll get to you why in a second. He registered another 204 hits and batted 383 in 1930 and was traded to Brooklyn. They became the Dodgers after that. He captured his second batting title in 1932, hitting 368, and finished third in NL MVP voting. Big peak. Big, big peak from 28 to 34. His slash line was, in that six-year period, 353, 417, 539. Hit at least 300 in all but one year. Had three 200-hit seasons. One of only 14 players ever record a 300, 400, 500 slash line, both on the road and at home. Career 143 OPS, tied with Harmon Killebrew, Eddie Matthews, and Mike Piazza, all Hall of Famers. And his 349 career batting average is sixth best, best all time. Only Shoeless Joe Jackson has a higher average among players who are not in the Hall of Fame. Important. So, why do I bring this up? Lefty O'Doul is one of a few people on what is known as the Golden Days Era Committee for the Hall of Fame. And on December 5th, the Hall of Fame's Early Baseball Era Committee, pre-1950, and Golden Days Era Committee, 50-69, to 69, will meet to vote on 10-player ballots with results announced live on the MLB Network that night at 6 p.m. December 5th, a couple days away. I'm betting Lefty O'Doul gets in the Hall of Fame. And the numbers I showed you with the peak show that he's deserving to be there anyway with OPS numbers and actually stat-counting numbers that we're doing now that match almost anybody who is in the Hall of Fame. And here's where it gets fun. He was also a manager. We don't have to go through the management. He managed Mel Ott. 
He managed Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> he is famous for telling Ted Williams to never let anyone tinker with his swing. A story told by one of our listeners to me. Ted Williams famously said, if you ever needed hitting advice, Lefty O'Doul's the guy he would go to. But here's where the biggest impact is. He basically brought baseball to Japan. Big impact. First trip to Japan, 1931, exhibition tour with a team that included Lou Gehrig, Lefty Grove, all those other fun guys. He went to Japan a ton of times at a time where there was some hostility in there, 38 to 48, right? Attack on Pearl Harbor, World War II, all the other fun stuff. Was there for all that stuff. Served as an ambassador of baseball to Japan. Um, continued to bring players there through the 40s and the 50s. Joe DiMaggio, his brother Dom, Yogi Berra. Um, and brought top Japanese players over to America for spring training to play here. Um, and, you know, was basically thought of as responsible for starting that Nippon, the Japanese Baseball League. In 2002, he's been dead for 30 years at this time, became the first American elected into the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. Pretty cool from a global perspective. I would say this guy is as close to a shoe-in from playing, management, and impact on the game as anybody out there. And what's fun is he's got 33 Gaudi rookies, which everybody knows about, right? Because, you you know, everybody knows the Ruth. And he's got a yellow one, number 58, not 53 like Ruth. He's got other cool cards from that time, though, some that Ruth doesn't have. If you take a look, 1931 DeLong, number 10. There's um, 1933 Tattoo Orbit. There's a 1932 U.S. Caramel. Uh, the Gaudi set has card number 232 and number 58. These cards are really inexpensive, Right there, you know, in, in PSA mid-grade, fives, fours, 100, 200 bucks on eBay. That's buy it now. Like, you want to make an offer, you probably get it for less than that. Because right now, no one's looking for him. Because if you don't listen to this podcast, you don't know that Lefty O'Doul has a good shot of getting in the Hall of Fame in three days. But because you listen, guess what you got? Some alpha, right? So you can go now because you know what happens? Do me a favor, guys, and look up what happened to Harold Baines' rookie card when he got into the Hall of Fame. People collect Hall of Fame. Right? People go out there and they just build collections of Hall of Fame baseball players. Those Hall of Fame collectors probably don't have too much in the way of Lefty O'Doul. And my bet is that he gets in because of all the fun stuff I just told you. And you can grab, I mean, you take a look at some of these. They're pretty cool looking. The U.S. Caramel is a little bland. The, the Tattoo Orbit is pretty cool looking. The, the DeLong number 10, also a cool looking card. And Gowdy, everybody loves Gowdy. Guy's got two cards in it. He was that good in the 30s, that well-known. And uh, the yellow background, everybody loves that one. It's for the Ruth, right there, number 58. So that's my play for today. It's a little winded, a little long-winded like I usually am, a little wordy. But I wanted to make sure you guys knew where I was going with it. Um, and if this guy gets in the Hall of Fame, you'll be a couple days ahead of the curve on it. This episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Ah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. 
If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.